Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome to Balance Black Girl. My name is Les. I'm your host, and I appreciate you joining me today. So this podcast is all about conversations that help us live our healthiest lives. Every month, we have a new theme, and currently our theme is Mindset May. So all month long, we're talking about taking care of our minds, improving our mindset, and focusing on our brain health. Now, many of us were introduced to wellness out of a desire to take care of our physical bodies. That's like the gateway. We talk about walking. We talk about getting stronger. We talk about unbigging backs, whatever resonates to help you fuel yourself and get moving. That is fantastic. Great. I love it. But there is a critical component to wellness that we don't talk about as much, but is arguably more important than any of those things. And that's how important it is to take care of our brain because without a healthy mind, we can't have a healthy body especially as we age. When we think about aging, our skin is often the first thing that comes to mind. That's why we got the sunscreen, we got the Botox, that's why we're on our skincare game so that we can age gracefully, and I love all of that. But what about our brain? What about our minds? When it comes to aging, that is probably the most important thing we can do is take care of our minds. And my biggest inspiration in that regard is my granny. She has since gone on to glory. Um, She passed a few years ago at the age of 84. But even at 84, that woman was so sharp. She missed no detail. She forgot nothing. She was every bit as with it at 84 as she ever was. Like you were not going to get something over on her thinking that she was just some old lady who doesn't know what's what because she had your number. She had all of our numbers all the time. She was so sharp her entire life. And I'm so inspired by that. When I'm 84, I want to be as sharp as she was at 84. And I want to do everything that I can to remain as sharp as possible for as long as possible. And I want that for all of us. The older we get, the more intentional we have to be about keeping our minds healthy. And I want to acknowledge that there are a lot of things outside of our control that can impact the health of our minds and of our bodies. But I really want to focus on what's within our control and the tools we have to keep our minds healthy. So in our next couple of episodes, we are going to really get into the brain to better understand our brains, to better understand how they work and how we can take better care of them. This week, we are focusing on the most important thing we can do to take care of our brains, and that is sleep. So we're going to be exploring why sleep is so important for your brain health, as well as your overall well-being as well as some tips for how to improve our sleep hygiene. Now, I do want to say as a disclaimer, this is general information, not medical advice. Today, I'm not going to be speaking to conditions like chronic insomnia or sleep apnea. If you are experiencing those conditions, it's really important to work with your doctor on a treatment plan. So all of the things that we talk about may not be directly applicable, but is good general information to have. So I also want to add, for those who have babies and little ones, I'm sending you love. I'm sending the little ones love. This is a season of your life where your sleep is not going to be the best. It just 
is not. And again, I send you so much love. Do the best you can. Hang in there. Eventually you will sleep again. And this is great general information to have when that day comes. Now I want to talk about why sleep is so important for brain health. That's because in recent years, when it comes to research, there has been an increased focus in really understanding how sleep affects the brain, which has resulted in some really interesting and helpful information for the rest of us who are really focused on improving our health. First and foremost, sleep plays a critical role in memory consolidation. So during sleep, our brains process and consolidate the memories that we have formed during the day. Now, this process is essential for learning and retaining new information. Studies have shown that people who don't get enough sleep have trouble with memory retention and recall, which can have a significant impact on their cognitive function and overall quality of life. Now, remember, we talked about that wanting to be sharp, and so our ability to process and recall information is a huge part of that. Now, in addition to memory consolidation, sleep is essential for cognitive function. When we sleep, our brains are able to recharge and rest. So it's not just your body that needs sleep. Your mind needs rest as well because our minds are busy. They are working constantly and also need to be able to recharge. And this allows us to be more alert, to be more focused and productive during waking hours. This is why when we don't get enough sleep, we can have a really hard time with attention and concentration and decision-making because our minds don't have the rest they need to be able to do those things, which actually take a lot of energy. Sleep also plays a critical role in regulating our emotions. So studies have shown that sleep deprivation can lead to increased feelings of anxiety, depression, and irritability. And you probably did not need a research study to tell you that. We have all felt it The number one cause of crankiness, at least for me, is when I'm tired. If I'm tired or if I'm hungry, nothing's funny, (laughs) nothing is cute, I'm cranky, I'm irritable, I don't want to be there. And so that's why rest is really important because it's also critical for our mental health and just for showing up as being our best selves. When we don't get enough sleep, our emotional regulation is disrupted and we can feel that. Now, sleep is also crucial for what's called neuroplasticity. So this refers to the brain's ability to change and adapt in response to new experiences and stimuli. We're actually going to have an episode diving deeper into this later this month because there's so much we can say about neuro and brain plasticity. But essentially, we have the ability to change our brains. We have an ability to change how our brains function, the neural pathways that fire, which can influence our thoughts, our behaviors, our decisions. All of those things are actually quite malleable. The way that we are now is not the way that we have to be because our brains are constantly changing and taking shape all throughout the lifespan. And during sleep, our brains engage in a process of synaptic pruning. So this basically helps strengthen important neural connections and eliminate unnecessary ones. It basically makes your brain more efficient because our brains are always looking for ways to be more efficient. It's why we tend to repeat ourselves over and over or once something becomes a habit or a behavioral pattern, it's very easy to repeat it because your brain is like, oh, I know exactly what to do. This is what we did yesterday and the day before, and we're just going to repeat that. So when we get adequate sleep, we're able to create those neural connections, and that's really, really important for our overall health. Finally, sleep is essential for brain health as we age. I talked about the importance of taking care of ourselves as we age a little bit earlier. And studies have shown that people who don't get enough sleep are at an increased risk for health issues related to cognitive decline later in life. And Researchers think that a big part of this is because sleep helps to flush out the toxins and waste products that accumulate in the brain, which can really lead to cognitive impairment later in life. And we're going to talk a bit more about that a little bit later in the episode. So we've talked a lot about the medical benefits of sleep and the mental benefits of sleep. And I would also like to talk about the physical benefits. Now, during sleep, our bodies undergo a process of repair and regeneration. 
Our cells are able to repair and to rebuild themselves. Our muscles and our tissues are able to relax and recuperate. If you are familiar with fitness, if you're familiar with strength training, when we strength train, we are essentially breaking down those muscles. And when we sleep and when we rest and we recover, that is when those tissues are able to replenish themselves and to grow back stronger. So this is why getting enough sleep is so important for people who engage in physical activity, which is many of us, because it allows our bodies to recover and prepare for the next day's activities. And that's what helps us come back and be more fit and be more strong and be more mobile and be more agile. Now, sleep is also very important for our immune system. Have you ever noticed those times where you are burning the candle at both ends? You are running yourself down. You are stressed. You are not sleeping well. You're doing the most. Those are usually the times we get sick. Those are usually the times like a nasty cold will come and it'll just knock us out. And that's because when we're sleep deprived, our immune responses often aren't at their best. That's because during sleep, our bodies produce what's called cytokines, which is a type of protein that helps fight infections and inflammation. It's really, really important for helping our bodies understand how to fight off certain viruses and bugs and bacteria when they come in contact with our immune system. The same way your brain has a memory, your immune system also has a memory. So when you are able to sleep enough, that is when your immune system knows what to do when it finds a new virus or something that's trying to attack it. So super, super important. Studies have also shown that sleep can actually help improve the efficacy of some vaccines as well, which is pretty incredible when you think about it. Now, it's also worth noting that getting enough sleep helps improve our overall quality of life. When we are well-rested, we are better able to enjoy our lives, pursue our passions. We feel better. We are more present. We have more energy and motivation to engage in social activities and hobbies and other pursuits that bring us joy and fulfillment. Now, I could go on and on about the benefits of sleep and why we should be prioritizing sleep just as much, if not more so than exercise or hydration, those things that we normally associate with wellness, but I think you've gotten the message there. So let's talk more about what is actually happening while we're asleep, what's happening in our bodies and what's happening in our minds so that we can really get a feel for those benefits. Now, all sleep is not created equal. I think we focus a lot on sleep quantity, how many hours of sleep we're getting, which is important, but it's also really important to understand sleep quality. What kind of sleep are we getting and are we actually getting what we need out of the different stages of the sleep cycle? So those four stages are actually broken up into two groups. We have the NREM, which is non-rapid eye movement, and then we have the REM or REM, which is rapid eye movement sleep. So let's talk a little bit more about those four stages, beginning with the non-rapid eye movement stages. And the first stage of sleep is known as the transition stage. And you're technically awake here. This is when you're kind of transitioning in or out of sleep. Now, during this stage, you may feel drowsy. Your eyes may start to feel heavy. This is maybe when you begin to initially doze off and your body is giving you clear signs that sleep is about to happen. Like you're struggling to keep your eyes open and sleep is about to come and take you. Now, also, when you wake up in the morning, you feel a little groggy or out of it, and it takes a little bit of time to come to, this is that same stage. So instead of transitioning into sleep, you're transitioning out of it. You may also have periods of being awake throughout the night without even fully realizing it, because sometimes when this happens, we're not fully conscious, but these kind of awake or transitioning periods usually account for about 2 to 5% of your night or time spent sleeping. Now, the second stage of sleep is called light sleep, and this is where you spend most of your sleeping time. In the initial moments of light sleep, this is when your body truly falls asleep. During this stage, your heart rate and your breathing start to slow down. Your body temperature just starts to drop. You may also experience some muscle twitches or jerks as your body starts to relax. And then as you get deeper into light sleep, your heart rate really starts slowing down. Your body temperature goes down even more. Your breathing slows down even more. And on an average night, adults tend to spend about half of their time in this light sleeping stage. Now the name is a little deceiving. You may think like light sleep, 
that doesn't sound good or it does that mean that I'm actually asleep, but light sleep is actually really, really important. It's because there's activity during the light sleep stage that's important for your brain. Sleep spindles are specific patterns of brain waves that happen during the lighter stage of sleep. And researchers believe that these patterns support our ability to process and build memories. Remember earlier, we talked about how sleeping is necessary for processing information and building memories, and the light sleep stage is when that happens. So again, this light stage accounts for about half of our sleep. So for most people, that's between like three to five hours per night. And it usually happens a little bit later in the night or a little bit later in the sleep cycle. Now, the third stage of sleep is the deep sleep stage. This is the stage where your body and your brain are at their most relaxed During this stage, your brain produces slow, deep waves, and it becomes more difficult to wake you up. And if you do get woken up during this stage, you're usually likely to feel a lot more groggy. Most adults spend around 13 to 23% of time asleep in deep sleep. So not as much time. This is an area where quality is a lot more important than quantity because you're spending less time here than you are in a light sleep. But if you experience a period of sleep deprivation, once you start catching up on sleep again, your body will actually prioritize deep sleep until you're adequately rested. So think of deep sleep as the recovery stage. This is when your body is doing those repairs of the tissues and of your muscles, and it's really regenerating your body. That's when your body is releasing growth hormone and your brain is flushing waste like we talked about earlier. So when that happens, your body is essentially bathing your brain. Okay, it's bathing your brain. Throughout the day, you have so many neurons firing, sending messages in your brain to the rest of your body that it can actually create waste. And during sleep, your body pumps cerebral spinal fluid to your brain, which cleans out the excess toxins. You don't want those accumulating too much. So a huge reason why sleep is so important for your brain is because studies have found that the excess accumulation of those toxic proteins can be linked to conditions such as Alzheimer's later in life. So again, really, really important that you're getting the sleep that you need so that your brain can kind of get that nightly bath that is so important for your health. So those are the three stages of non-rapid eye movement sleep. Finally, we have the rapid eye movement stage of sleep, also known as REM. So this is the stage where you experience most of your dreaming. During REM sleep, your brain actually becomes more active. Your breathing and your heart rate increase. Your eyes are moving rapidly. This stage is really important for processing information, regulating your emotions, and consolidating memories. So we tend to spend around 20 to 25% of our sleeping time in the REM stage. And getting adequate REM sleep is really important for actually feeling rested. Again, because this is when we're dreaming. This is when we're processing information. This is kind of when we're recharging in our mind. So some ways that you can support your REM sleep would be getting enough magnesium. I've actually talked quite a bit about my favorite magnesium supplement, which is from Bioptimizers, but you can also get some magnesium through food. Cutting back on alcohol because alcohol trashes your REM sleep. This is why you can drink and fall asleep, maybe even sleep a lot, but the next day not feel rested. It's because your REM sleep was disrupted by the alcohol. And also limiting exposure to light at night can support your REM sleep. And we're going to talk a little bit more about all of these things later in the episode. Now, when it comes to going through these sleep cycles, we actually go through them multiple times throughout the night. So it's not like, okay, you spend just one solid hour in light sleep and then you spend, you know, 40 minutes in deep sleep and so on and so forth. This is a cycle that repeats itself over and over. So for most adults, seven to nine hours of sleep is what's recommended. And each sleep cycle is roughly 90 to 110 minutes. That's how long it takes for us to go through these stages. So if you're getting an adequate amount of sleep, you're probably going to be going through this cycle like three to four times. And so sometimes if we experience sleep interruptions, like we get woken up in the middle of the night, or maybe we have to get up and go to the bathroom or something in the middle of the night, that can really throw us off depending on where we were in the sleep cycle. If we were unable to complete a sleep cycle before we got woken up, we're likely to feel really 
kind of groggy and out of it. So when we think about improving our sleep health to benefit our brains, we really want to focus on understanding and completing our sleep cycles so that we can get adequate rest. Something that has been beyond helpful for me has been understanding how well I'm sleeping through each sleep cycle. And this was information that I really didn't have until I started wearing my aura ring. So I got an aura ring for my birthday last year, and it has upgraded my wellness tremendously. Before using the aura ring, I had no idea how well I was sleeping or what the different stages of sleep were or if I was recovering from my workouts. And I appreciate that the aura ring is a really beautiful ring that literally looks like a stunning piece of jewelry that's actually an incredible wearable that tracks your sleep, your readiness level, which shows how recovered you are and other main biomarkers as as well as your activity. It's the best sleep tracker on the market and it offers an in-depth analysis about each part of your sleep cycle. And it's educated me so much about my different stages of sleep and how important they are for my health. So now that I have a better feel for how I'm sleeping or what my heart rate is each day, I can tailor my sleep and my self-care routines to give myself what I need each day to feel my best. So if I wake up one morning, I'm feeling kind of run down. I can see that my readiness level is a little bit low. Maybe my sleep wasn't that great. Then maybe I'll dial it back a little bit for the workouts or vice versa. If I wake up and I'm like, I slept great. My readiness is great. I know that maybe I can go a little bit harder in the gym. And having that information, that data really helps me take care of myself because sometimes our self-care is not so rigid where we have to do the same routine every day or we have to do the same workout that's super hard all the time. It's actually about knowing how to give your body what you need. And what I really appreciate about wearing my aura ring is that it really helps me understand what it is my body needs in that moment. And like I mentioned It's a gorgeous ring, so I feel great about wearing it with any outfit, whether I'm dressing up, dressing down. I don't look like a spy kid with something bulky on my wrist. (laughs) And I also love that the app is really easy and intuitive to use. I'm honored to be working with Aura, and I'm actually featured in an episode of their All Hours series where you can learn more about how I use data from Aura to improve my sleep. So you can check that out at AuraRing.com slash balanced less. In today's episode, we're talking all about sleep and it's no surprise that caffeine can really mess with your sleep. So if you're looking for a little pick me up, but want to cut back on your caffeine, check out mud water. When I'm not up for coffee, I love swapping it with Mudwater's Cacao Rise Blend. It helps me feel energized and focused without the negative side effects of having too much caffeine or disrupting my sleep. Mudwater is a coffee alternative with four adaptogenic mushrooms and Ayurvedic herbs that has way less caffeine than coffee. It has incredible ingredients, each serving its own purpose, including cacao and chai for a boost of energy, lion's mane to support focus, cordyceps to support physical performance, chaga and reishi for immune support, and cinnamon for antioxidants. I like to blend my mud water with some hot water, a little monk fruit to sweeten, and the mud water creamer, which has coconut milk and MCT powder. It gives me so much energy, no crash, and doesn't disrupt my sleep later in the day. I recommend grabbing a starter kit with your favorite blend so you have everything you need to create a new ritual. To try it, go to mudwater.com slash balanced. That's spelled M-U-D-W-T-R dot com slash balanced to support the show and use the code balanced for 15% off. So now that we know how important sleep is, we understand the different types of sleep we're getting. We understand what's going on with our bodies throughout the night. What can we do to improve our sleep and actually get these benefits? Well, this, my friend, is where sleep hygiene comes in. Having good sleep hygiene is making sure that your routines and environment support your sleep. So do you engage in routines and behaviors that help you fall and stay asleep? That's what you're looking at. How is your environment supporting your sleep? Does your environment even support your sleep to begin with? And if it doesn't, that is okay. Here are some ways that you can improve your sleep hygiene. So the first is sticking to a regular sleep 
schedule. So trying to be as consistent as you can with bed and wake up times really helps regulate uh, your natural sleep and wake cycle. So if your body knows when to expect to go to bed, you're going to start naturally getting tired around the same time, making it easier to fall and stay asleep. Conversely, if your body knows when to expect to wake up, it's going to naturally start waking you up. You're going to start feeling a little bit more awake. You're going to get a little bit more of that cortisol in the morning around the same time, and that's going to help you feel so much more alert and ready for your day. So basically, you want to try and be as consistent as you can with going to bed and waking up so that you don't confuse your body. Because if you go to bed at 9 p.m. one night, then you go to bed at 1 a.m. the next night, and then you wake up at 7 a.m. one morning, and then you wake up at noon the next morning, your body is going to be like, I don't know what's what, I don't know when is when, I don't know what I'm supposed to do or when, versus when you're being as consistent as you can with those times, your body can really get into a rhythm and into a flow that's going to support your energy levels. Now, I understand that weekends and weekdays are two totally different things. I actually like to have different routines for those times. So I have a weekday wake-up time and I have a weekend wake-up time. I have a weekday bedtime and I have a weekend bedtime. Now those things are within a few hours of one another, but they are a little bit different and it actually has really helped my body get into a rhythm and get into a flow so that I'm able to wake up when I need to wake up. Now, Here's the tricky part when it comes to our wake-ups and when it comes to our alarms and our patterns. And it hurts my soul to say this because for years I have been this person and it has been a big part of my wake-up routine. But snoozing is one of the worst things we can do for our sleep and for our focus. And I know I'm pained to say it. Like I built in snooze time to be part of my morning routine for years, but it's just not doing us any, any favors. I love me that snooze button. Okay. That nine minutes, sometimes just it, it blesses me, but that nine minutes, especially if you do the nine minutes over and over, like I have done, and I'm not too proud to say it. I'm not perfect over here. It's not helping you feel more rested. It's not helping your brain. It's not helping you be more focused. Using the snooze button actually contributes to sleep inertia. Now, sleep inertia is when you wake up feeling disoriented, you're in a bad mood, you're unable to really get up and get firing. You may have been awake for hours and you're like, I just don't feel awake. I just cannot focus. I cannot get with it. You're likely experiencing sleep inertia. Here's why this happens. When you wake up in the morning, your body wants to exit the sleep cycle and go into wake up mode. And that happens when your alarm goes off and when you initially wake up, your body is like, okay, time to get up, time to get out of the sleep cycle. It's time to be awake. But when you hit snooze and go back to sleep, you're actually starting a brand new sleep cycle. Now, remember a sleep cycle lasts from on average 90 to 110 minutes not nine minutes like our snooze alarms do. So in that nine minutes, you've started a whole new sleep cycle that you then can't complete, but your brain still thinks it's in the sleep cycle. So even if you've gotten up after nine minutes and your body is moving, your brain is still not there. And it could take that 90 to 110 minutes, sometimes even longer to fully get going. So that's why you can be awake and you can be awake for a while, but you're like, oh, I'm just, I'm not here. What is going on? I have this brain frog or I'm groggy or I just cannot focus. It could be sleep inertia because we are physically awake, but our brains are still trying to complete that sleep cycle that we started. I know. Damn it. How annoying. (laughs) So a huge component of sleep hygiene is breaking up with our snooze button and really looking at ways that we can focus on giving ourselves complete sleep cycles. So some things help me break up with the snooze button has been really affirming the action that I want to take. So I have a very specific affirmation when I'm tempted to hit the snooze button. That affirmation is I I'm not a person who snoozes their alarm. I am a person who wakes up. I am a person who keeps their commitments to themselves. And I will say that to myself as I get up to turn off the alarm. Or I will immediately reach over to my nightstand and I will just turn on a light. 
and it's pretty bright. And then I chug some water and then I turn my alarm off because those things like get me awake, get my brain awake and send a clear signal that we are not starting another sleep cycle right now. It is wake up time. There are also people who use the countdown method. This is something that Mel Robbins has made famous where you count down, you know, your alarm goes off and you count down five, four, three, two, one, and you get up whatever works for you. But if you are wanting to feel more rested, if you're wanting to feel more focused, breaking up with your snooze is probably going to be in your best interest. I know. I hate it. But it's what we got to do if we want to improve our sleep hygiene. So the next is creating a really sleep-friendly environment. I don't want you to feel like you need to go out and buy a bunch of stuff, but here are some simple ways that you can support your physical comfort for better sleep. So the first being, if you have allergies that disrupt your sleep, especially this time of year in the spring, maybe you can make vacuuming a part of your evening routine to get up any extra dust, or you can try running an air purifier at night. If you're someone who gets really warm, maybe getting a fan, making sure your room is nice and cool before you go to bed can be super helpful. If you're sensitive to light, which really exposure to light is not good for us when we're trying to go to bed anyway, we're going to get into that. But if you are sensitive to light or you know maybe it's not as dark as you would like it to be, you can get an eye mask or a sleep mask. Or if you really want to go big, you can do the blackout curtains so that your room stays nice and dark. Maybe get a new pillow if yours is a little flat, if it's no longer feeling comfortable, or a mattress topper to make your bed just feel extra cozy. When it comes to environment, this is also when it's good to be mindful of screen time. So minimizing your exposure to light right before bed and trying not to bring your computer or anything work-related to your bed so that you begin associating your bed with sleep and not with work or with stress is really, really helpful for improving just the environmental elements of your sleep. Now, the next is transition time. Sometimes we try to go from being hyper-stimulated to immediately going to bed and then wondering why we can't sleep or wondering why we're not sleeping well. We have to wind down for the day. There has to be a little bit more of a gap from doing the things that really work us up and stress us out to going to bed. So Build in some relaxation time to prime you for your sleep. Don't go straight from watching some crazy intense show or being like nose deep in the news to immediately going to bed. You need some sort of buffer. So for me, that is my night routine. I also find that the earlier I do my night routine, which for me is like shower, pajamas, skincare, reading, the more likely I am to go to bed earlier. Sometimes if I know I really need to be up and on my game the next morning, I'll even do my bedtime routine before making dinner if I really want to go to bed early. You can read, you can meditate, you can journal, you can do whatever you want as long as it doesn't stress you out and as long as it serves as kind of a buffer between the workday and your responsibilities and your ability to relax. Just give yourself some transition time to ease into relaxation before going straight to bed. Now, the next element of sleep hygiene is being mindful of what you consume. So definitely avoiding stimulants like caffeine in the PM hours, honestly, after like 12 PM, ideally. And I also want to talk a little bit more about alcohol, which we mentioned earlier when I was talking about REM sleep. Alcohol is not a stimulant. It is a nervous system depressant. So it can feel sedative. You can feel more relaxed. You may even have an easier time falling asleep when you drink alcohol. But depending on how much alcohol you drink, that sleep could be trash. Again, we're talking quality over quantity. Alcohol is particularly disruptive of your REM sleep cycles. You could actually be getting too much slow wave sleep, which really throws off your sleep balance, making you more prone to either waking up throughout the night, feeling more groggy, and just feeling less rested. Now, earlier this year, I did a whole episode about how alcohol impacts our health. We will link the episode in the show notes for you to check out. Out, but be really mindful of, you know, if you're enjoying a nightcap, but you find that your sleep is being disrupted, it could be the culprit.
Now, when it comes to consumption before bed, this also goes for not consuming things that are going to stress you out. Like this is not the time to be on social media. This is not the time to listen to true crime or to be on the shade room right before bed. If something gets your heart rate up, if something gets your blood pressure up, it's probably not best to do during bedtime. Please, so whether you realize it or not, these things are getting into your subconscious. Your brain is recording everything that you're taking in. And even if it feels like it's going in one ear or out the other, it's not. Your brain is so smart and it will likely disrupt your sleep, especially if it's something that really stresses you out or is disturbing. Like I, if I see something disturbing, I will go on about my day and forget about it. And then the second I lay down to close my eyes, every disturbing thing that I've ever seen in my life will immediately come to the front of mind. (laughs) This is why I'm not a true crime girly. I also think that true crime is a very low vibrational habit, which maybe we can talk about another time, but I can tell you it's not helping your sleep. So don't do it before bedtime. Now, from a food standpoint, it is actually best to stop eating about an hour or two before bed so that your body isn't trying to do a lot of digestion while you're sleeping. You want that food to already start digesting so that you can really rest. Because if you're trying to rest, but your body is putting all this energy towards digestion, that can also disrupt your sleep. But if you do need to eat before bed, I don't want you to go to bed hungry, focus on something that's lighter and easier to digest. Food that have protein are really good great to have before bed. Some almonds, which are a great source of magnesium and melatonin are good to have in the evenings before sleep. Turkey, which has protein and tryptophan. A lot of us are familiar with tryptophan, an amino acid that supports your body's natural production of melatonin, which is why we often feel tired on Thanksgiving or after eating it. Tryptophan, major contributor towards the itis. Chamomile tea, which supports relaxation, as well as tart cherry juice, which promotes sleepiness and can also help combat muscle soreness. So those are some things, if maybe you're feeling snacky at night or you need a little something, those could be some great things to have. But really, you can have whatever you want. Just try not to have anything that's super heavy or maybe something that's really spicy or that's going to upset your stomach right before bed. Because while your body is supposed to be resting and regenerating, it's going to be putting all that energy towards helping you digest, you know, maybe this really heavy meal or this really intense food when you should be resting. If you do have something that upsets your stomach at night, I really like drinking like peppermint or ginger tea before bed just to help soothe that. And it will kind of ease things up a little bit. So that's my, my little trick to support my digestion while I sleep. Now, next, this is more of a general lifestyle thing, but getting regular exercise throughout the week really supports your sleep hygiene. Regular exercise can help promote more restful sleep, and people who exercise regularly tend to have better sleep overall, and researchers believe that this happens for a few reasons. One, exercise lowers stress levels. When you're able to minimize stress via exercise, you're less likely to feel stressed out when it's time to go to bed. A 2020 study suggested that exercise may help improve sleep efficiency, which is the ratio of how much time you spend in bed versus how much time you spend asleep. And this is actually really important for helping you feel rested as well. And lastly, exerting more physical energy throughout the day helps you generate energy throughout the day, but it also wears you out in a good way, (laughs) making you feel more tired come nighttime. So it increases your body's need for sleep, potentially making it easier for you to fall asleep. We do this with kids all the time. How often do you send your kids outside or do something to help tire them out? All the time, all the time. As adults, we still need that just like kids do. Sometimes we need to kind of physically tire ourselves out. But what's important here is that we don't want to do strenuous or high intensity exercises within an hour of going to bed because that can kind of backfire. Like we said, exercise can help you generate energy in the short term and then tire you out a little bit later. So you don't want to generate energy right before you want to go to bed. You want to generate energy earlier in the day when you need it and then really get that good rest and get the benefits of tiring yourself out when you need it at bedtime. But if you do want to do a little bit of movement at night, if you want to stretch or do some yoga or do any type of movement that's going to promote relaxation, have at it. Now, throughout this episode, I have mentioned light and 
how we want to avoid having too much light before bed. But I really want to dive into this a little bit more and talk about our relationship with light. Now, this is going to be a little bit trickier for people who maybe work nights or do shift work, or depending on where you live. If you live somewhere like Alaska, where your light and dark schedule is a little different, it's kind of half and half throughout the year, take this all with a grain of salt and do best that you can with what you've got. But from a physiological standpoint, our brains register light as time to be awake and dark as time to go to sleep. For years and years and millenniums, that is how we as humans operated. But now things are a little bit trickier because we can access light any time of day or night. And it can be really confusing for our brains and for our bodies to understand when we actually need to go to bed. That's why your body can be feeling tired, but your brain can be feeling totally wired because your body has gone through this whole day and it's ready to rest, but your brain is like, I'm lit up. (laughs) Let's go. So really managing your relationship with light can be really helpful for telling your brain when it's time to go to bed and when it's time to be awake. So I actually like to think about light as almost like a supplement. We really want to manage our doses of light throughout the day to help us kind of do whatever it is we need to do. Light in the morning signals to your body, okay, it's time to get up now so that I know when to get tired later. That's why being exposed to light in the morning as close to wake up as possible is really, really important. It helps elevate our cortisol, which cortisol is not a bad word. We actually need cortisol, especially in the morning. That's what helps us wake up. That's what helps us be focused. That's what helps us start the day. Where cortisol is not ideal is if we just have cortisol level 10 all the time, your cortisol levels need to fluctuate throughout the day. But it is important in the morning that we do have higher cortisol because that's what gets us up and what gets us moving. So if you listen to the Huberman Lab podcast, you know that Huberman is a big fan of morning sunlight, getting your eyes exposed to sunlight as soon as possible after waking up. And again, this can depend on the season and where you live, but I have been implementing this for a while and it has been really, really helpful. So if I'm waking up when it's still dark, I like to immediately start turning on lights, like I mentioned earlier, just to get some light exposure and then opening the blinds, windows, or going outside, even if it's just for a few minutes, as soon as the sun comes up. And in the morning, if you can physically go outside or get a morning walk, that's even better. Also in the morning, if you are working, if you're trying to focus, having bright overhead lights can help increase our dopamine and appropriate levels of cortisol, which helps us feel focused and motivated, which is really important because often in the mornings, that's when we're getting our workday started. And that is when we really need that focus, that motivation, and that energy to kind of propel us through that first part of our day. So think of that morning light exposure as like your morning dose of light as a supplement. So you want it to be kind of high. You want it to be bright. Think sunshine, sunlight, even if it's cloudy outside, still getting that exposure to like looking outside where it's bright is really, really helpful. Those overhead lights, that's what's really going to help your brain start firing in the morning. Next, we have the afternoon dose of light. Now our afternoon dose is going to be a little bit different because in the morning we're thinking bright, we're thinking get up, we're thinking go. Our afternoon dose of light is kind of like a time check to let our body know that like, okay, we're about halfway through this thing. So we're no longer getting wound up and we're not quite ready to wind down, but it's about to be time to wind down in a couple of hours. When we're able to be outside and our eyes adjust to being a little bit lower in the afternoon, that signals to our brain, hey, okay, the sun is going to set in a minute or in a bit, which means it's time for me to get tired soon. So let's kind of recalibrate where we're at. Now, I personally love an afternoon walk or a walk after work during the time of year when it's still light out. Also during this time of day, late afternoon, moving into evening, that's when we want to start tapering back on those really kind of harsh overhead lights if we can. So we want the light that we're exposed to inside to start mimicking what the sun is doing outside. So the sun is starting to lower a little bit. We want the lights inside to start to lower a little bit so that our circadian rhythm kind of knows what time it is. 
as you get closer to evening, you're going to reduce the harsh overhead lights. You're going to slowly, hopefully start spending less time on devices to minimize our exposure to blue light. And we're starting to really taper down those afternoon and evening doses of light. So as we get into nighttime, this is when we really want to dial back on those bright lights because bright lights are really going to inhibit our melatonin production. And we want to be producing our own melatonin so that we can get some quality sleep. Supplementing with melatonin is not great to do all the time. Melatonin is a hormone. And so you don't want to be supplementing with artificial hormones all the time that can really throw off your body's ability to produce its own. So we really want to focus on habits that help us produce our own melatonin, or if we get dietary sources of melatonin, there's not so much in it that it's going to throw off our hormones. So this is really our goal with sleep hygiene is to really balance those levels of cortisol versus melatonin. So light is really important for that process. I know using red light bulbs or red light devices are really popular. I personally am not there yet because I'm not trying to spend no more extra money. I'm not. I'm really not. So I actually am a salt lamp girly because I already have salt lamps. And so just being wise about when I use them has been really helpful for my sleep hygiene. So I have a salt lamp nightlight in my bathroom that I use as my main source of light when I'm in the bathroom in the evening. If it's after like 8 p.m. and I'm in the bathroom, I'm not turning on the overhead light. I'm turning on the salt lamp. I use it when I'm taking a shower, which like low key makes my bathroom feel like a spa. I'm telling you a bath or a shower lit by a salt lamp or maybe some candles is so relaxing. Be careful with the candles though. Don't go catching like a shower curtain on fire, please. But having that really nice, soft, pink, glowy light when I'm doing my skincare and brushing my teeth just makes the whole process feel so much more relaxing than it actually is. <laughs> and it's all about tricking yourself into thinking that what you're doing is relaxing. And then I also have a big salt lamp in my bedroom that I got for like $10 at HomeGoods in 2015. It's still going strong. That is my main light source after 9 p.m. And it definitely helps me relax. I also have an open floor plan apartment. So if I'm just chilling in my living room or kitchen area at night, then I will light a few candles. I'll turn off kind of my harsh overhead lights or my lamps. And I will actually use the light above the stove as my main light. Now, black people love the light above the stove. It is me. I am black people. It is my nightlight. It is my comfort. And it is the perfect wind down light because it has that kind of yellow tint to it. It's dim. It sets the mood. I love it if I'm like cooking, fixing a little treat at night. It just really helps me relax and not use the really harsh overhead lights in my kitchen. So utilize that nightlight over the stove, which you probably already are doing, but let that be your main source of light. If you're really looking to get things dim and just start adjusting and dimming your nightly dosage of light. You know, if I'm cooking, if I'm making tea, I don't want that harsh light when I'm in my evening groove. I actually tend to think of that Beyonce clip when she was like, I can't stand all that ugly blue light. I'm a black girl. You can't put blue lights on black girls. That's what I think about when I want to be on my phone late at night. <laughs> I say to myself, I can't stand all that ugly blue light. <laughs> I repeat that to myself when I'm on my phone later than I need to be to remind myself that I don't need that ugly blue light at night and neither do you. Our phones, our computers, our tablets expose us to blue light. And at night, that really messes up our melatonin production. So we have got to taper that back. So we can do a good, better, best situation here. Good would be using like night mode on your phone or on your computer or an app like Flux, which as it gets later in the night, makes your screens more warm so that the blue light is not shining through as brightly. That can be great if you do need to be on your devices because I understand the game is the game or sometimes you just want to be on your phone and like, okay, do it, but maybe turn down the brightness and turn up the warmth a little bit. So that's good. Better would be wearing blue light blocking glasses to provide a little bit of protection. If you can find a good pair, I actually just get all of my prescription glasses with blue light blocking in them, which is pretty standard with a lot of optometrists today, which can be a good option. And best is to just not be on them things, not to be on our devices, but I do it too. 
And I'm not going to act like I don't, (laughs) but if I am on my phone or on my iPad or on my Kindle at night, I will try to at least take out the warmth, have my blue light glasses on just to protect my eyes and to support that melatonin production. So if you're tempted to be on your phone at night, think about what Beyonce said about that ugly blue light. Okay. She can't stand that ugly blue light and we shouldn't either after like 8 PM. So... (laughs) Those are the ways that I dim things in the evening to support my melatonin production. So when you think about your night dosage of light, you want it to be minimal, you want it to be warm and to gradually decrease. So again, what we're doing with our lights indoors is we want our lights to mimic what is happening with the sun. So it's high and bright in the morning. It's starting to taper off a little bit in the afternoon. And then at night, it is winding all the way down. And when you're able to have your light mimic what's happening with the sun and kind of maintain that rhythm, it's going to help your personal circadian rhythm or your body's clock because we use light and the seasons our bodies do to tell time. It is going to help your sleep hygiene so, so much. So that is what I have for you for this week's installment of Mindset May. I hope this episode inspired you to take better care of your brain by taking better care of your sleep. And I know that there was also a lot of information here. If it felt really overwhelming, I recommend taking just one tip or one practice that I outlined in this episode, taking a week or two to practice and implement it, and then coming back and trying another and then another until it's habit and you have a routine that really serves you. So this episode will always be here for you. Head to the show notes for more information that I referenced in today's episode. I linked to the research studies that were referenced as well as some other great resources to support your sleep. And for more information about the Aura Ring, our sponsor for today's episode. So to learn more about how I've used the Aura Ring to support my sleep hygiene and well-being, you can check out my episode of Aura Ring's All Hours series on their website by visiting AuraRing.com slash less. And if you're listening to this episode the week it comes out, know that Aura Ring is offering a special promo for Mother's Day up to $50 off select styles until May 14th, which is fantastic. So we will link all of that information in the show notes. Join us next week for our next installment in the Mindset May series. We're going to be talking all about balancing focus and creativity for squiggly brained people. So subscribe on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you like, and I will see you here next week. 